Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Black Expat Experience, a live show and podcast highlighting the lived experiences of Black expats around the world. I'm Kendall Tyson, your host, a licensed therapist and fellow Black expat. And we have another great episode in store for you today. I would like to welcome our newest guest, Jamal. Hi, Jamal. Hey, how's it going, Kendall? And hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us on this episode. And yeah, I'm looking forward to having a, a good chat. And yeah. I haven't done anything like this before. So yeah, I mean, normally in an audio format, it's a lot more familiar, but the video is a little bit different. So yeah, I love the nonverbals added to the conversation. So <laughs> Um, I'm very glad that you agreed to come on the show because this is something that you do for a living. You are a radio podcaster, all those things. Um, so maybe that's why I've been a bit nervous and messing up all of the previous takes. Who knows? (laughs) (laughs) It is all good. We all do it. It's part of the process and, um, I may do it too. Yeah, right. I'm, just, I'm so, glad you got some editing going on for this. Interview. Yes, thank goodness for editing, right? Uh, but I'd like right. to introduce our audience to you uh, by reading the amazing bio that you shared. Um, so everyone, Jamal Aziz, aka TJ Reed, is a podcaster, artist, radio host, editor, voice artist. I mean, can you you heard his voice already? It's very nice. Um, a media professional in Beijing, China. Uh, majoring in psychology at the University of California, Merced, he initially wanted to pursue a career in medicine, uh, but altered his career focus after traveling abroad to Thailand, Japan, and several other countries. Though currently working in media, psychology has still been a substantial influence in his life and other ventures such as teaching abroad, podcasting, and painting. Um, I really appreciate the, the the broad nature of your interests. So I want to get started in asking you, who would you say Jamal is? If you had to describe Jamal as a person, who would you describe yourself to be other than what I just shared? Other than what you just shared. Okay. Um, Jamal Aziz is, uh, hmm, I'm trying to be careful with my, my words here. It's uh, just an individual, an individual that's on the path of perfection in, uh, in the professional world um, and in a spiritual uh, element. And um, yeah, just trying to be a better and better person. So, and you're just constantly, you know, growing and evolving and just trying to, yeah, to just stay on the path to perfection. I guess that's, yeah, in summary, I think that's, you know, because you, you listed off some of, a lot of the other, you took, you know, the wind out of my sails and a lot of these other descriptions of myself. So I think for that, you know, if you, if you move all that away, I'm just somebody who's trying to be the best that they can be while, you know, while I'm here. I appreciate that, right? Um, evolving into your best self, and I would imagine that looks different on on every day, right? What is evolution on a Monday? You know, self evolution on a Wednesday looks very different than on a Sunday. So, um, yeah. but I hear yeah. 
with what you're saying is that you're being conscientious about continually making improvements. Right, right. It's a big deal for me and in, in my work and also just in life, um, whether it's my, my, my spirituality, uh, my, you know, it's my physique, um, how I, you know, how I relate to people and um, my people more specifically and just, and um, yeah, everything, just trying to be better and better because I think there's a lot of things that can kind of, there's a lot more negativity in life than positivity. I mean, obviously that depends on your mindset, but I think there's a lot of, a lot of negativity out there to feed and grow and, and really, yeah, make you a, a less productive person. I hear you. I hear you. Life can be full of ups and downs, challenges, distractions. So really identifying like what your focus is. And mm. I kind of want to shift like the structure. Normally I talk about, you know, an individual genesis into becoming an expat living abroad. And we'll definitely do that. But I would really like for you to expound upon, you know, after reading your bio and, and knowing you as, you know, the short time that I have, I know that you do work around informing the public about different psychological matters through your own show, Shrinked. And so yeah. I'm curious for, you know, because one of the elements of the work that this show does is identifies how one person uses his or her um, influence to better their community, to inform people, to, you know, collaborate, bring connection. So I'd like you to give us, you know, some background on how you got started with the show, Shrinks, um, what you want the mission and the purpose of it to be, and really how does it further your mission of the love of psychology? Uh, well, the show was kind of born um, when I decided that <laughs> uh, a lot of people that I work with and even family members just find it really comfortable to talk to me about things. And somehow, and maybe it's because I had a very eventful life, maybe it's because my major was in psychology. I've always had the words at least to explain and try to um, at least just share my experience, not really tell anyone what to do, but just what I've experienced in my life and what I've learned and maybe giving people a different angle to see things. And um, it just felt so natural. And then people would tell me that after talking with me, they feel like, you know, they're a bit more equipped to go forward in whatever it is that they're struggling with. And it felt good. You know, I was just like, wow, that must be some kind of gift or, or, or talent or something. And I, um, and on the show, I, I do other shows with the company, the current company I work with and, Whenever it comes to, I'm really careful about the word advice. <clears throat> I don't really want to say I give people advice, but I just, again, I just share my perspective and it comes naturally. And then again, the voice, the, the feedback from the listeners on the show was always positive. So um, I thought, you know, why don't I do something that's a bit more natural for me and talk about something that I think matters a lot more. To me and because I think there's a lot of things that are going on in life with people um, some positive but a lot of negative 
And why don't we just talk about it? And be, and I also feel that when you explain that you need to see a therapist or that you are seeing a psychologist immediately, um, people have a kind of a negative opinion about you. And I kind of wanted to change that a little bit because I think sometimes all we need is someone to listen, someone to talk and to get us to uh, to get us to be able to handle at least look at the situation a little bit differently and so i thought maybe why don't i do something closer along those lines but i'm not a licensed psychologist and at that time i guess things just kind of fell into place um i was i was told that there was some a former colleague where i currently work that that's in the, the field of psychology and he was excited about joining the show. And so I was like, you know what, why don't I just, yeah, let's let's make this happen. But the first episode was with someone who wasn't a licensed therapist. So that was kind of a trial run. I thought it turned out okay, but you know, it was a bit more, uh, you know, just an exchange between two people. It, it wasn't really anything that I think a lot of people could get anything from. But when I teamed up with a, a therapist I think he had a lot more concise information that, you know, people could use. And obviously that stimulated the com my conversation for, with him a certain way. And it was just a better, um, a better exchange, better product. So, uh, so yeah, that's kind of how it started. And um, yeah, from there we've done about 12 episodes and um, yeah, we're hoping to do more and more, especially before my time is done here. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I think one of the most important things that I hear you saying is being a conduit for people to be heard, uh, to feel safe, to um, have an outlet to share. It's really important. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't think that someone can make themselves into that type of person. I honestly believe an, a, an individual has innate qualities that bring that skill out, right? For people to feel comfortable, trusting of you to share some very deep and vulnerable parts of themselves. I think those kinds of skills and qualities are, a person's born with that, right? So mm -hmm. I'm curious, you know, what do you foresee the future of this show, the future of, you know, the nature of your work to be beyond Beijing? If, if you choose to share. <laughs> well, um, it's uh, my mindset is if I'm able to get the, the collaboration that I need for the show, I would like to extend beyond uh, China and go when I, when I do go back to the States, I'd like to link up with people in my community and from different communities really, because I mean, we're all, kind of going through similar things. I mean, of course, depending on uh, the different conflicts, our communities suffer different, you know, different issues. And so it would be kind of nice to sit with somebody from, you know, different representative, you know, communities and talk about some of those things. So I, I, I see there's a lot of potential in the show because, you know, as, as I mentioned before, a lot of people are struggling especially these days with, you know, what's going on with, you know, economies and just, you know, the climate and, you know, employment and just all kinds of things are happening. And I think people 
would it would be nice to hear a program where people are actually sharing these things because most podcasts that I hear and I um that are quite popular tend to be feel good programs or news mm. programs and um not to say that shrinked is a program that's you know kind of down and brings you down but it's nice to hear just people like, disclose some real stuff yeah that we're all going through and then it's not necessarily you know positive some of them can be lighthearted. we have some you know people who share some lighthearted stories of what they're going through but still is in, you know involves psychology but you know it's just nice to get a a full spectrum of emotions on, on the program. And, and I think that that can just go on and on. So when I go back home, I would like to link up with some other therapists. That way we can just sit and talk about these things. And as long as we have people willing to share what they're going through anonymously, you know, that um, I think this, the show has potential and we could go on and on with it. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that it will continue to grow. Um, yeah, um, something that you just said when it comes to, you know, the nature of the show, the content that's covered, I, what I appreciate is, especially based off what you're saying, is that there's an honesty. There's more of an honesty to it as opposed to, you know, we want someone to listen and it's just always um, upbeat, sunshine and roses, like, because to, to me that sometimes feels artificial. Um, right. and makes it challenging sometimes to connect right on a sub level to the lived experiences of other people um so yeah I I'm I'm grateful for you putting work into the vision that you had and um continuing to expound upon the work that you're doing. Um, and I wonder, you know, when we, when we talk about like community, how can you foresee using this show as an outlet for others to be a resource for the communities that you are trying to serve? Well, a lot of us tend to see things based off of what we're going through as a people. For example, a lot of uh, here in China, a lot of them are, are oblivious to what's going on uh, with people uh, in the States. You know, I'm African-American. So a lot of times when I speak on certain things, they have no idea. And, you know, and it's not, and that's, this is not specific to China or Chinese, but a lot of times people are not that concerned about people from, you know, communities outside of their own. Yeah. And, that's why I think it's nice to have programs where it's not something that it's a it's a black issue or it's a Mexican issue or if it's a Chinese issue or a white issue. It's something that we all deal with as human beings. And of course, those elements need to be there, too, because those are factors that, you know, contribute to psych, you know, mental health. But um, and so that's where I kind of would like to do and. And that's why I like doing, I call it, quote, people programs, because I don't want to just take one narrative of one group and, you know, kind of, uh, you know, uh, you know, propagate that. I want people from all races to be able to listen in and, and get something from it. So that's why I, I think um, if I'm able to get a different voice 
from different communities, then it's, um, you know, it's a voice and people can try to understand a little bit more. May not always agree um, or, yeah, I think you're always going to have dissent in these kinds of uh, conversations, but uh, it's just, it's still good to, uh, you know, to have a dialogue and talk and try to understand each other a little bit more. I agree with that. I know um, <clears throat> when I came up with the premise of doing this show, um, the Black Expat Experience, I had to think about would I be alienating um, other groups of races and ethnicities of people? Yeah. And, you know, at one point I got a comment from someone that I know, she's a Latino, and she shared, well, you know, what about brown voices? And I shared with her, I was like, there's lots of brown people in the world that are experts in their own lived experience. I don't happen to be one of those people, right? I happen to be an expert in being a black woman that chooses to live in another country. But I do, so I want to champion those voices, especially with, with the element of mental health, which is something that's really taboo in most um communities of black right. communities and communities of color but i really do believe that you don't have to be a black person of the diaspora to engage in you know being a part of someone sharing their experience because you learn through it right you learn through their personal narrative but i did want to offer like an intentional space an open space a safe space for people of our background all over the world to just chill and really talk about why they've chosen to venture into this space in their life, how mental health is impacted and, and every other thing that comes up in the, in the conversation. So yeah. that, that's always been a consideration, but I'm, I'm also of the belief if people want to learn, they will. Yeah, that's you know? right. And, and if you have um, platforms like this, it makes it a little bit easier as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, let me ask you, how long have you been abroad? How long have you been living as an expat? Oh, wow. Uh, that long? <laughs> uh, hold on, give me a minute. Um, it just seems like a while. Uh, I left in 2012. So, yeah, it's about a decade. Wow. It's 10 years. Yeah, wow. 10 you, years. Have you only been in China? Uh, no. I When I say ex, expat is living and working abroad. So I, um, I left in 2012 to go to South Korea. And I did that for two years. And then after that, you know, um, I, I, I came to China and I, I've been, I've been here since. So yeah, about okay. seven coming up on eight years in China and yeah, two in South Korea. Okay. And when you think about the inception of the idea, how about I go live in another country full time? How did you, how did you come to making this decision to become, um, an expat? Uh, okay, let me wind the wind my gears back to 2012. <laughs> uh, I think while well, I was in an industry that was exciting, I, I loved. I was in aviation, so I was um, so that was kind of cool. I was wow. able to travel and jump on and off planes for free, 
And um, yeah, I was able to take my parents here and there, but I just fell in love with being abroad, you know, because before that I had, you know, I went to Thailand and I went to Japan and it was just something about being abroad. The air smelled differently. And of course the food is different and it was just the culture, everything about it was just so different from back home. Uh, I don't want to say better, but just, it was different. So, um, and I found that the, these one week or a week and a half trips just wasn't cutting it for me. It was, you know, and I wanted to have the full experience. That's one element. And then I think the most, another common reason was, uh, I think I had just got out gotten out of a relationship. And so I was looking to kind of, you know, change, get a change of scenery. And so, yeah, those, those two factors. And so I looked at South Korea because uh, when I was teaching, uh, when I left, I was a, uh, an English teacher. That was kind of like the easiest role to leave America. You go abroad and, you, you know, they pay for your housing and they give you a, a decent salary, not an amazing salary, but it was decent enough. And um, so I was like, okay, this country and this country, I have to pay for my rent, but this place, they're going to cover my rent and give me a decent salary. Yeah, I'll go to South mm. Korea. Yeah. So that was kind of the big, the biggest reason I chose that place. I wonder which do you prefer South or not even prefer, right? Which country did you find you felt more connected to South Korea or, or China? Uh, well, South Korea was the first time that I left and lived abroad. So there was a huge, you know, there was a lot of adjustment that I had to go through at that time. But I liked South Korea because the food was, uh, it took some getting used to, I have to be honest, but um, it was still quite, you know, it was healthy and the people are different than Chinese. And they're, they're really, uh, they like you, they go out of their way to let you know that they like you. And if they don't like you, it's kind of the same. <laughs> so if you, <laughs> you get used to that, you know, I guess I was lucky. I got more people that, that liked me. So, you know, that experience was, was more positive. And, um, yeah, it was just the, the way that the country was kept. It was, a, uh, more, de it was developed a bit more. So, um, I preferred Korea. I mean, the Wi-Fi was amazing, you know, I, you know, give you something on that, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, great Wi-Fi. The people are great. The food is good. The, the way that the country, I mean, it's, you know, surrounded by hills and it's just, it was a really beautiful place, you know? Yeah. It's on my bucket But most list. importantly, I think they received Americans positively. Oh, you know, that matters. Of course, there's some issues. There's there's always going to be some issues when you're black and you're abroad. Okay, so I mean that's that's a separate Issue. discussion. But for right. me, my personal experience of being abroad, there were some things that I had to get used to, and you know, but after a while, when I got used to it, then the experience became more and more positive. I'm not sure if that makes sense. No, it makes complete sense. Um, there's there's always like an adjustment 
to being in new surroundings. I mean, just say even if you move to a new house down the street, there's an adjustment and feeling safe in a new space. So choosing to move to a new country as a black individual, a black American, um, yeah, there's an adjustment there. It's like really having to get attuned to culture if that's something that you wanna do. Um, language, new food, all these different nuances of how to show up and be. And that can be a lot to take in and then couple that mm. with the mental health implications of moving to another place and how how are you received? Is it positive? You know, are you able to build community? Right. There's so many things to encounter um, that I I sometimes wonder people that have chosen to live abroad have to consider a lot. There's a lot of pre-consideration um, before making such um, an important leap and. Yeah, I want to ask you when you when you kind of figured out, OK, I think I want to go here. What were some of the things that you considered as a as a black American man moving to an Asian country? Well, uh, the biggest thing was how am I received by the Asian community where I'm from? And traditionally, historically, uh, a lot of Asians don't really receive black people in their communities as a, as a matter of fact they're kind of they keep a distance and so and i mean my parents generation you know a lot of them and depending on the community okay depends on where you're from and some of the rougher areas where the where asians live you know their relations with with black people hasn't always been positive so when i initially when i was like hey i'm gonna go to korea my parents were like why would you do that? You know, <laughs> you know, a lot of our experience with, you know, these Asian communities here in America hasn't been positive. So why would you go to their country? You know, and so that was a big concern of mine. I was like, oh, well, that could be a problem if I go there and, you know, they, you know, what if they're aggressive? What if they don't like, you know, black people? Because I think that's something that a lot of us go that go abroad with this mindset because, you know, historically, Black people have been kind of second-class citizens in our own country. Right. And so going somewhere else, is it going to be as bad? Is it going to be, you know, much worse? You know, so these are, these are some, these are some, you know, viable concerns that I had when, when I was, uh, when I was leaving. So that was probably the biggest concern, honestly. Um, from everything I've read about teaching abroad, you know, most people leave, largely the positive feedback of obviously the pay and, you know, uh, the overall quality of life and all of that. But yeah, again, when you're black, it's something that we've had to endure in, in America. Yeah. We're wondering, okay, how do these other people receive us? Because we're not, we don't get a lot of good, you know, representation in media and movies and, and things right. like that. So if they're looking at that, they may be thinking a lot of negative things when we, when we uh, come in, but yeah. I had to, I had to admit in 2012, Barack was still in the office. So that was kind of a good thing. <laughs> you know, that, that was a, and, you know, all over the world, people saw a black man in the office. And you know, loved it. And loved it. And so it, it kind of lifted the face yeah. of uh, black people, I think all over the world 
you know, especially in America. So, you know, I, I tend to dress in ties, even though I didn't have to do that. That's just, just part of my um, demeanor. And so as soon as I stepped off of the plane, they were like, you know, they had this feeling, you know, because, you know, appearance is, is a big deal for a lot of people. So when I when I went to work, I was this is who I was every day. And so they um, I think they all they showed me with a lot of respect. And so did the you know, most of the people there did, too. So I'm really happy to hear that um, with all the consideration um, being, again, conscientious about making the move. It sounds to me, based off what you're sharing, that it's been a positive experience for you. I do want you to expound upon, you know, if you choose, how, after sharing your thought process about where you're choosing to begin your expat journey, what did you have to tap into? What were some of the, you know, ways in which you either countered, accepted, set boundaries around? your decision and other people, family, friends, not really agreeing or understanding your decision? Mm. Well, uh, I take China as an example for that because um, there were those concerns that I mentioned before about Korea before I went there. And I realized that the Koreans in Korea were different than the Koreans in America, you know, because yeah. when people get Americanized, they become completely different. Yes. But that, again, that's another, that's another topic. But the proximity um, to the latter hue. Oh, yeah. <laughs> changes. Yeah. Their the dominant culture, I guess you can call it. <laughs> right. So, um, the, a lot of people, or a lot, I had a lot of feelings about coming to Korea, and I realized that most of them were inaccurate. When I had my own experience of living there, I was able to, you know, make that distinction myself. So um, when I decided that I wanted to come to China, yeah, the whole world, I mean, I, my whole world rather, was like, hmm, why do you want to do that? Including Koreans. They were like, why do you want to do that? Don't do that. That's 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 just stupid. You know, I mean, they can't even breathe over there. And, you know, the air is so bad. And, you know, and it was just a lot of things. They were showing me news reports and only negative news reports about China or in South Korea. I mean, organ stealing, uh, just abuse. And of course, the government. I mean, all of that stuff was just that was all they got in South Korea. And so yeah, I, I took a look at it and I was like, man, that's yeah, that's something to consider. <laughs> you know but um I also kind of felt that I need to see it for myself because um you know I, I, at that time I was a little bit more aware of how you know media portrays certain certain places certain people and again I was just China was a place that I was always interested in as a as a you know as a kid I was I grew up on kung fu movies and you know this type of thing martial arts so it was something that I, I really wanted to experience and also the pay for what I was doing was much more in China and so that was also another motivator but yeah I was just wanting to realizing that not everything is is um exactly what is you know portrayed in media and so that's why I was just like you know what I'm gonna 
I'm just going to go ahead and, and try it. If it doesn't work out, I'll just do a year and then I'll, I'll be on my way. Yeah. But at least I can say that I did it. And it's something that I can tell people from my personal experience that, yeah, this is right. Or no, that wasn't, that wasn't quite, you know, that wasn't right. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, I, I really resonate with something that you just shared that while you're getting all of these every other people's perceptions, a lot of it negative information to try to sway you a, a certain way, making the understanding and having the realization that while all that's well and good, I know you probably mean, well, I need to be able to experience this country, this opportunity for myself to get a, a real world perspective of what it's like. And it just really feels very much like being a black person, right? Uh, coming here, um, the negative perceptions, the inaccuracies, but once people really take the time to humanize us and get to know us as individuals, not as a collective, then they tend to see that whatever you've been fed isn't true, right? Um, mm -hmm. That's right. Yeah. We are ambassadors, we, whether we like it or not or know it or yes. not. And that was something that I had to learn uh, when I first, well, my, when, in my first, you know, um, deployment, I guess you could call it. <laughs> but I, yeah, but, and that, that I think that's another reason why I try to show people, I want people to kind of see a different element because yeah we we don't we don't get a lot of i mean look at hip-hop i mean it's all over the world people love it and when they see me they sometimes you know and, and there's comments that i get when i'm abroad and back home they would be considered a little bit racist and they would set us off a lot back home but here you know you have to take it with a grain of salt and you have to understand that a lot of them just literally they don't know there's no there's not a lot of racism behind it it's just yeah. ignorance yeah. Part of my part of our work, I guess you could say, is to kind of let people know, you know, give them some perspective and hopefully that that will uh, change a little bit. Yeah, it can be hard sometimes, though. Right. <laughs> it's such a burden. It's such a heaviness to it, you know, especially when you want yeah. to show up as your authentic self or you want to display real human emotion in a moment. Um but then also realizing that we're literally being watched or on display or someone is creating, like their understanding is being shaped by their viewing of how we live our life. And that's a lot. Yeah, it is. Like you said, just wanting to be a human and express yourself the way that everybody else expresses themselves right? and all that. But yeah, we, we have a bad rap that we have to clean up. And then it's not a rap that we gave ourselves, not necessarily. I mean, we we have to take some responsibility for it, of course, but there's a hidden hand in that as well. And that's something that it, it's, it's exhausting. And it, the, the playing field isn't fair. You have, I don't want to say the opposition. How do I say this? Um, <laughs> you have um, other people who you know, they have a lot, you know, they're received a lot better because again, their, you know, their work, their, their media 
I say their media because it's not ours. And we shouldn't expect to get good representation from their media, but their right. media gives them, you know, an advantage, a privilege that, um, you know, it's, uh, yeah, it's not easy. But uh, I, th I still, overall, again, I, um, I tend to highlight, you know, the positives of the experience more so than the negatives. But then again, I can only speak for myself. People, there's others out there who may have had much more negative experiences than right. I have based off of their complexion. You know, if they're, if they're darker, right. They may have yeah. more problems if they're from another country, you know, outside of America, right. You know, but they're black they they may have a lot more friction to deal with. Yeah. So which is unfortunate. Yeah, I can only speak for myself, but I know that's there. And yeah. it, it ain't right. Yeah. yeah. We while we may all be under the umbrella of being black in China, those umbrellas have different elements, right? And those mm -hmm. different elements are different experiences, attitudes towards living in, you know, this country and just really <laughs> Having, having to have different ways of taking care of themselves, depending on what, you know, what it is that they're receiving from so many other people. And one of the things I would, I'm interested in, I mean, I'm interested in curious about everything, honestly. Um, when you think of the time that you, in this decade that you've chosen to live outside of America, what do you think has been one of the most defining moments of your time abroad? Defining. Uh, I have to, you have to excuse the sound. There's a, uh, this apartment is a construction site. So oh, I barely noise, heard it. I apologize. I it. Um, yeah, defining moment. Uh, I guess it was when I started working for this company i mean i i don't know i guess it, there's a few defining moments uh, i'm not really sure which element of definition you, you're asking i guess on a professional level it's, it was when i started working uh doing what i'm doing now i got into media and i realized that this was something that i wanted to do and it it came a little bit easier or a lot easier being abroad than if I was back home. Really? And just some of the, I feel like the opportunities, at least in China, no, I would extend that to a lot of these other countries that receive, you know, foreigners. It's, um, the you, you do tend to have a little bit more opportunity to do things than the locals. Mm. And so uh, working for media was able, I was able to tap into who, I was as an individual and put that into my work. And so for me, I was like, wow, this is, this is great. It's nice to, to fall into something that you feel is a lot more natural to you, you know, who yeah. you are as an individual. So I would say on a professional level, that would be kind of a defining moment for me, but just being abroad, um, uh, I think when people compare me to certain uh, figures or people that they've seen in media and it used to bother me a lot I didn't like that because you know back home we don't like when people say 
or compare us to this person or you look like this person even though you don't look anything like that person they tell you oh you look like this person or you remind me of this person right uh, like yeah all black people look alike like no we don't <laughs> yeah i got told that uh when i was in korea and that i still remember this to this day i'll never forget it this guy said like oh and he pointed at me and he said mc hammer what does he have <laughs> I looked at it, exactly exactly <laughs> i was like no, not MC no, Hammer. I, 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 like <laughs> I mean, the MC Hammer is nice looking, and he take care of himself. So I'll give you that. But hey, okay, <laughs> hey, he's Hammer was the man back in the day. I, I can't deny that. But I mean, just. But at that time, it, it bothered me a little bit. But I think that when I was able to get past that and just realize that some some people when they make these comparisons is because they they like somebody from that culture or maybe even they love somebody from that culture nba basketball players i get that all the time yeah. even though i'm like half the height of these guys <laughs> they'll tell me that i look like kobe or i look like this person or that person but they really love kobe they love yeah. these guys like they they worship these guys and so when they see sure. me i'm a reflection of that so i guess when i came to that realization that you know, sometimes people are just showing love, but they just don't know how to do it. They don't know how to culturally, they don't know how to look into your culture and know what's appropriate. And uh, that was a defining moment for me because I felt like, you know, there's a, there is actually some love that's being given out here. It's just done in a, a different way. And I just need to, you know, receive it, know it, know it for what it is. And that will make my, my time here more positive. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. I really like how you just, I'm going to reflect. What I hear is learning that, what is, what's the phrase? It's a phrase that I keep hearing, um, especially at this new job, but it's supposing positive intention, right? From the start. Um, and then knowing that, yeah, they have limited exposure um, and just really trying to take yourself out of it you know, remove whatever emotion and be like, okay, if it, it, it can be admiration. Now, I think we know what it's like when somebody's like full on racist or intentionally being, you know, divisive, things of that nature or irreverent. Um, but in most yep. cases, I'd say it's not that. Most cases, yeah, you, you, you have racist too, but yes. um, you <laughs> know, there's not much you can do about that. Well, let me ask you this. As a Black man from America who'll be venturing back home, you know, or back to America, you know, sooner or whatever point you choose, just knowing what you know now, knowing how you, your life has changed, how you've evolved as a person, I want you to kind of speak to that young man back home that has an opportunity like you had, right? To do something different, to step outside the box, really go on a personal journey. What, what could you offer to ease them into the decision of being different and just choosing to maybe start a life abroad? What would you say? Uh, I would say that it's another form 
of a rite of passage, mm. you know? And I think that, uh, I think an example of it is a really popular Hollywood film called, um, what was it, 300? Mm-hmm. And um, at a certain point, these guys had to leave their their homes and they had to go for, I think, a few years and pretty much be on the brink of death. And sometimes they would die. But they had to kind of prove their their worth or prove that they are worthy enough to be, you know, a Spartan. You know, and I think that uh, when you come back, you come back with certain skills you come back with a completely different think a way of thinking and um you know you you yeah you it's a it's a way that you know suffering teaches us a lot of things of course you can be bruised up and you can take what you've received negatively and it can kind of bring you you grow downwards you know and um i think that when you live abroad of course you, you learn a lot of things for me, on a personal level, I feel like I see how well people work with each other in China. You know, they're a bit more uniform. And I would like to see a lot more of that in our people back in the United States. And um, of course, just dealing with the, um, you know, the cultural differences and still being able to, you know, to thrive. Yeah, I think I've learned a lot and I would encourage, you know, you know, our brothers and sisters back home, if they wanted to go abroad, it would be a good experience for them to see how people view us and also just see what it's like in a different place, you know, and yeah, it's, it's hard. As I mentioned earlier, everything smells differently, looks differently. And it's just a different slice of a, a huge pie. This is kind of an analogy, you know, if you've only had one slice of pie, yeah, that pie might be good, but it's nice to try. If you can have a few more slices, you can kind of see you have a bigger a broader picture of what this world is like. And some people may move abroad and feel like, hey, this is it. I don't, I don't want to go back. And some people may feel like, wow, I really want to implement what they're doing here back home, because I see um, that a lot of Chinese, when they go abroad and they go to our institutions in America, they educate themselves, they learn whatever they can, and then they go back to their home country and they use that to build up their community and their people. And I feel that, um, you know, I've developed quite a bit here since I've been in China, at least in the world of media and, and on a um, on a personal level. And I think that I would like to try to use that to, you know, to bring that home to our communities and try to, you know, so that I can, I guess, serve my community in some way when I go back home. I guess I've adopted that mindset and that would have never happened if I hadn't left and got yeah. this experience. You know what I mean? So yeah, I encourage people to go abroad if they can. And of course, you don't need to go abroad to have this mindset. But for me, it was just a way to to see a different world, a different people, but also understand that and learn that though we're from different cultures and different, we speak different languages, we're still people. And I mean, really, well, there's only one tribe, there's only one people. And 
I think that it's kind of cool to be able to connect with uh, our distant relatives. So, um, so yeah, it's, uh, I encourage it. Yeah, I like all of that, especially the, the, the sentiment, not even sentiment, the fact. I mean, I work in a school. And so I know that families send their children to institutions of higher education in the United States and Canada, the UK, Australia, really want them to grow academically. Um, and there's beginning to become more of an emphasis on being a well person emotionally, right? In addition to get a, a degree that's gonna allow you to get a good job where you're making you know, good money so you can come back and provide, right? Um, so I fully understand that. I think, I even think that's kind of part of what I've envisioned. Like you just said, the skills that you've learned, um, you've, you know, grown more adept as a media individual than to be able to take it back home and just allow that thing to expound and support the community that you serve is literally doing what they've done for decades, right? Um, right? Yeah, so I appreciate that. And I could definitely see so much work being done to enlighten young people or whatever age group or subset of individuals that you choose to support through this work. Um, yeah, it, it feels very exciting to even hear and kind of envision what that could possibly look like. Um, I do want to ask you, um, and this kind of goes along the I'm going to shift into mental health, right? Um, All right. You have your podcast, Shrinks. You're really doing a lot in media. I am interested in, like, what is it about mental health, the educating of people about mental health, do you find to be so valuable and important? Uh, well, this other than the fact that it just appears to be quite natural for me to want to, um, you know, speak with people and get them to open up about, you know, what's bothering them and hopefully get them to, you know, move forward with more positivity, um, recently, I mean, for a lot of the radio shows that I do, we have to look up about, you know, read online about what's going on, certain statistics and about what's going on in the world. Ever since COVID, there's been a lot of reports about people being a lot more stressed, um, young people, older people, of course, people losing work and mental health is just, in a way it's, 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 it's trying to come out of this negative, stigma because before and, and I think I mentioned this before it's just something that a lot not a lot of people like to to talk about and nowadays with the you know current situation with economies here and in, in the states and, and everywhere you have a lot of people that are are struggling you know the youth at least here they have this they call it the the laying flat generation where a lot of these young people they just 
they've given up. They don't want to work hard. They don't want to strive. They don't want, they just want to enjoy their lives. They've given up on trying to be, you know, what society wants them to be. There's this kind of surrender, but of course that comes with it. Some other problems, you know, inside of the family and just, you know, socially. Yeah. And back home, you know, we have just a lot of, we have a lot of issues, a lot of problems. And I think that there's a, a stronger demand for mental health professionals, or at least an awareness that if you do need to see somebody and talk to somebody, it, it would be, it's just better that it's a lot more normal and that it's not something that, oh, this person, you know, you better, you might want to watch that person. They're seeing a therapist, you know? And I think at one time that was kind of the, the narrative. It's like yeah. somebody's seeing a therapist, you got issues and you better watch it. And I think nowadays we could all use a therapist or somebody to sit down and talk to. So I guess it's just normalizing the notion of uh, being able to, to chat and talk. And uh, so that's really, you know, where, at least at this point, that's where, um, you know, the, the, the focus of the show is about and just letting everyone know that, you know, you're going through things. Hey, so am I you know, and so is she. And uh, let's talk about it. Let's, you know, there's nothing wrong with you. This is, it's perfectly normal, actually. We, you know, we all go through different things. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yes. I'll say yes 10 more times. Um, <laughs> when you say those things, I'm curious to hear what when you think about your attitudes and understanding of mental health at this point in your life and maybe the messages and the understanding and the unstated treatment of individuals with mental health that you grew up with, how would you say that has influenced your perspective to date? Well, I have to be honest, I, I don't have a lot of exposure to mental health growing up um I don't know anyone in my family well that's not true until recently I have an older sister but I mean in my development as a, as a child and growing up maybe it was that generation or during that time but it wasn't it was still seen as a negative so no one that I know personally um went and saw someone and I think the reason why I just found it so appealing because largely, oh, can you, can you still catch me? Can you still read me? It says the internet is not stable. Can you still yeah, I can hear, you. hear me? Okay. Just, yeah, you're good. Okay. Okay. Um, my big, my exposure to it is largely, and I think for most people, it's probably has a lot to do with either your personal experiences, maybe someone in your life that, you know, needed some, you know, needed some counseling, or it could be media, right? Films and film depictions. And for me, I was the latter. I saw a lot of film depictions of it. And I just thought that it was really captivating and interesting. And that was, as a young man, I wanted to go into, you know, this type of work, largely from from that. But as I you know, got trained and I started and I took, you know, some courses in it in college, it was just something that um, I felt that, wow, this is actually really useful. It's not only for 
the criminally insane, which is, again, a lot of media prediction, uh, media um, depictions is like, when you watch films, it's always people who are really extreme. But when I started to do, take classes, it, it taught you that this could work on a person to person level, just people who are, you know, dealing with what some would say trivial things, but if not addressed, it could be something that could actually, you know, get out of control. So, uh, but growing up, I, it wasn't, there was not a lot of, um, I could say not a lot of uh, influence there. Uh, no one that I know of, at least if they are, my dad would joke about taking lithium. I'm not, I, and to this day, I'm not sure if he was joking or if he was serious, you know, I'm not, I don't think he was uh, uh, bipolar, but. But that's I a mean, very, that's know. a very specific, but, um, right, type yeah, of Yeah, I know. Drug he's a, doc know he's a doctor. He's a doctor, so. Um, okay. <laughs> I don't know why, I don't know why he did that, but um, <laughs> I've always grew up with that in my mind, like, oh, because he's bipolar, oh, I don't know. Um, but either way. I mean, even, and, and it was through an episode of Shrink, the program that I'm doing now that I discover that even if you are bipolar, there's some magnificent people out there who yes. have the condition and do exceptionally well in life. Yeah. And so it's, yeah, it's not necessarily a negative thing. If it's managed well, then it's, exactly. it can be actually a, a merit. Right. When they have appropriate treatment, appropriate mental health support, ecological support, environmental support. Um, that's what I, mm. something that I really want people to understand is that at some point in everyone's life, and I don't like to use absolutes, but it's pretty true. We'll all have some sort of experience with a mental health issue, be that anxiety, which is the, the um, number one diagnosed mental health condition, depression. Um, you know, there can be a prevalence of other more severe mental health issues that some people may experience, but with the appropriate support, with the appropriate treatment, dealing with the mental health struggle, living with the mental health struggle is not an indictment on your life and does not mean that you won't have a healthy quality of life. It's <clears throat> when we continue to propagate stereotypes and negative stigma that makes it difficult for people to step out of the shadow of what they believe to be a problem, or at least what they've been told by said community, environment, society that's problematic, that, that they don't get the appropriate support in an expedient amount of time, and then things can become more challenging. So it takes um, <clears throat> a level of vulnerability. It's very difficult for people to tap into. And I wanna ask you about that. What do you, what role do you see vulnerability playing in the advancement of, you know, mental health, especially as expats, right? We don't, resources in certain countries can be sparse and they are in China. So when you think of, and yeah. I want, and obviously you're a black male, so from the black male perspective, I think it's even more important. How does vulnerability play a role in wellness? Well, uh, if you have an issue or a problem, 
we have to be a bit vulnerable to get it solved or to get it fixed because a lot of us like to handle things on our own. And I think that's largely because we don't want other people to know about it. And um, I also think, I don't know if it's a male a male complex, because I think fem there's some females that are that feel this way too, but being vulnerable is weak, being weak, you know, getting, putting yourself out there and, you know, sharing all of these personal details and, and uh, it's, um, and of course you're open, you're opening yourself to judgment from other people. It's actually, it takes a lot of strength to be vulnerable because yeah. I mean, nobody wants to do that. Right. I mean, I certainly don't, I don't want people knowing about my personal life and, you know, my shortcomings and things of that nature, even though we all have them, you can pretend, you know, we can, we can hold on to the false bravado when we go to work or when we're in front of people acting like we don't have these issues. You know, it's, it's just, um, you know, it's strength that a lot of us are trying to uphold, but yeah, inside we're all weak, you know? And so we have to, uh, yeah, at some point, like you mentioned, there's going to be times where we're, we need some support. Some people find it in different places. If you're, uh, you know, of a certain religious faith, some people find their their strength in, you know, God or Allah. And um, that's, you know, I think that's that works for some people. But for others who may not have that um, spiritual sense, they might need a little bit more. They might need, yeah, a different angle of support. But it's vulnerability and it's being weak. And I think for for males. And I and I've never seen a therapist before. I'm just I'm just telling you. I've I've gotten I've gotten some training throughout my my schooling. I know a couple of therapists, and you know I can we talk about things. And I think I I talk and I'm able to share what's going on with myself. Sometimes some things, not 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 everything, of course. <laughs> Don't want to expose too much. Don't want to be too vulnerable, right? Are you okay? But um, <laughs> but yeah, there's a certain amount of um, uh, maybe it's the traditional element. I, I'm not sure, but there's some ladies out there that also don't like to expose themselves and be too vulnerable because it's synonymous with weakness, and I don't I don't agree with that completely. But there is some part of that that. I also agree with too. And that's probably why I don't share literally everything about myself either, because uh, yeah, it's not, I don't, I don't think it's safe. So right? I, I'm glad that you said that. And, and I agree with almost everything that you said, right. When it comes to like vulnerability that the messaging that we get is, <laughs> oh, you're weak, you know, to be vulnerable, to cry, to share all these things. We know that's not true, right? I also know that people's experiences really influence their present behavior. And when they see certain things or maybe have even reached out previously for support, maybe not explicitly, but then however you're received can push you right back into that shell um, thereby stopping, right, your ability to get that support that you need. So it's really looking at it, how do I change? How do we change? 
that association of strength and solitude. I can do it on my own and open the world up to know that connection and vulnerability are the pathways to being well and healthy and thriving. Um, and it was something else that you just said. I, and I, I lost it in my whole thought about this, but <laughs> <laughs> just knowing that we all have differing experiences and we get to kind of step outside of what we've been traditionally taught um, when it comes to, you know, mental health, um, seeking help, seeking support, um, safe. That's what you said. That's, it just came back to me. One of the reasons like I want, I like this show that I'm doing is that I, I believe it creates a sense of safety to be open. And anyone that follows me knows that you're not going to be chided or judged for the, the intimate things that you share with the world. It's through the sharing, it's through the sharing of our personal narrative, our experiences that other people can see, oh, so you've experienced something similar to me and you're doing okay and you're doing well, or you've been able to come out of a situation. It's through that safety that people can be vulnerable. So I'm always curious about, especially as expats, how do we create these pockets of safety, these communities of safety where one can be more open and get the maybe environmental support if they're not in a space to where they can one afford a private therapist or maybe they're not ready for that step because it is a, a, a big leap. But what do you think that looks like as expats, you know, Black people, living abroad to be intentional about creating those safe communities? Well, hmm. I think making programs like this and others that highlight mental health and not even that, just um, having, I guess, functions and things that reach out to us as expats to come together, whether it's, uh, you know, several times a year or just, you know, a place where we can all just kind of hang out and talk. And I think that there's, there's a lot of communities or there's a lot, there are, I guess you could say groups that are already doing that where they have these events and, you know, people can kind of get together. But I think the focus should be on, <clears throat> health and relaxes if you if you set up a group or a function on drinking or partying or you know this becomes the theme and then if you go there you don't feel safe to share anything negative because you're going to feel like you're bringing down the mood because the whole theme of this gathering is to party it's to right. feel good so if um you know as expats if we're abroad um, it would be good to have, you know, uh, and I think, as I mentioned, there's different groups, for example, like um, these yoga or um, oh, what's this, there's a different type of therapy. It's, I'm, and I'm not, I can't, I don't really understand it so much, but it's called, um, it's kind of, it's not yoga, but it's like a, uh, uh, I, I, it's hard for me to uh, remember exactly what it's called, but um, 
but anyway, there's a there's meditation involved and they talk and they really kind of debrief each other and this is uh, and they do that you know several times a week and this is also a form of release where people come like and they share therapy? and I've, I've attended it's not group therapy it's um I feel like yoga or buddhism is the sound the of it but um not sound therapy <laughs> it's uh, be, uh there's a there's the beijing um uh, awareness with the mindfulness uh, I can, center I, I can't remember what is it the beijing mindfulness center mindfulness there it is oh, okay mindfulness that's what they call it that's the term it's called mindful mindfulness okay so like a state of being right yeah it's kind of like this um a hybrid of um, buddhism a little bit of yoga and there's psychology there and um they they say these chants and different things and um that and that's helpful i mean it's something it's something where people can get together and they can share what's going on in their lives sometimes very very personal stuff but it's a release and people can get it out and they can share it with um you know people that are there and then that opens other people up to being vulnerable and sharing what's going on in their lives not everybody comes out and says anything like i didn't when i said anything when i went there but um it, it at least creates a space for people that have something in their hearts that they need to share and get off. If somebody else is sharing something really close and intimate, you know, so I think that these type of functions are, are, are really important. You know, that way people can at least, um, you know, being so far from home, being in a place that's not an English speaking country to have these functions are, are, are really important. I think. Yeah. I, yes, I agree with you. Um, creating a community or a culture surrounded around the importance of wellness and not for necessarily capitalistic means. Yes, people want to be paid for their yeah. work, but more so to create the sense of community that's going to help to promote wellness, individual wellness, environmental wellness, collective wellness, because we need that as expats. Um, I think it's one of the, like when people decide to move abroad, one of the things that I'm considering, it, you know, when I work with other people is helping them to understand what is it going to look like for you in this new country to take care of your mental and physical wellness? That has to be an element of consideration before you choose to move somewhere um, because you're going to be there and you're going to try to cultivate a life there. So how do you do that in the healthiest way possible? And in the event that you do experience a disruption in your life, what are the resources available for you to get your mental health needs tended to? Um, honestly, I wish I would have done more of my own research when, before moving to China because I was <laughs> unpleasantly surprised by the lack of infrastructure when it comes to mental health support here in this country. Um, it's not a poor country. Um, but I understand the cultural implications of having that type of westernized, more westernized support. So it's always something to think about. Um, I just have a few more questions before we close out. And one of those is when you, what do you need when it comes to healing? 
Uh, can you repeat that question? What do you need when it comes to like healing, when it comes to taking care of yourself, when it comes to mm -hmm. tending to those hurt, maybe sick, maybe, I don't know the, another word, parts of yourself that need additional love and care. What is, what does healing look like for you? Uh, well, I'm kind of going through something major right now. Um, okay. And what I do is I work out. This has always been something that has stuck with me for a long time. And it's always been helpful. Um, so yeah, fitness is something that I've, I've used and it's worked. And I've done a little bit of research. Uh, I'm a, an unofficial herbalist. So I, uh, I research different herbs that are, you know, balance hormones and, you know, supposed to be good for, you know, adaptogenic herbs. And so, yeah, some ashwagandha or, you know, different things just kind of, you know, help the body. Yeah. Yeah. So just on a, this level, and then of course, you know, fitness and then just taking some time to be alone, maybe doing a little bit of reading and um, uh, prayer, you know, I, I pray quite a bit. So I think these elements have always gotten me through. And then um, also talking to family, you know, my family, you know, praise God, I've got a family that is supportive and very helpful. They give me my space, but also if I want to talk, then they're always there to, to uh, you know, to listen, which is nice. So I think with those elements, I've been, I've been blessed to be able to get through most of the um, issues that have come up in life and um, been able to, you know, take something, learn something from whatever I'm, I'm involved in or whatever has happened and uh, go forward in a, in, a, in a positive way. So, yeah. Wonderful. Thank but you. I realize not everybody has those resources. Right. So it can be it can be harder for 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 different people. You right. know, some people when they when they hit a wall, they don't want to go and go to a gym and, you know, get on a treadmill or anything like that. It's you know, but that's just how I'm hardwired. It's um something that I've always done and it's and it's worked for me. So right. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And I think the last question that I want to ask you is when you think about the advancement of mental health, holistic wellness in our community, what would you, what would you want to see? What would be a preferred future in that regard that you'd like? Uh, well, I think we, we talk about, we spoke about it a little bit in our discussion today and again it's just awareness 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 and just getting our people to understand that there's not something wrong with you you're not broken because you need to talk to somebody every once in a while i think that um, this type of conversation um, can be empowering and help us to you know to stay on a constructive path i i do a show uh it's a it's a lighthearted show but we touch on the lives of uh very famous pop musicians and there was one i just did recently that kind of 
reached out to me and grabbed a hold of my, you know, and grabbed me from the inside. And it was just his, his story was just so compelling. He was born, uh, he was a stillborn. And he made it out of that. And uh, he was born to really young parents, you know, 16 years old. His mother was, his mother was 16. His father was 22. It was in the South. It was in the, in the thirties, 1930s, great depression, his uh, father was abusive, almost killed his mother and would beat him every day. And, um, you know, eventually he had to leave and go live with his aunt, but his aunt, she ran a brothel. And so he had to entertain Richard. the guests. <laughs> Sounds similar, but uh, not, not, not little Richard. James Brown. James Brown. That's right. Okay. <laughs> And yeah, he just, I mean, when you look at the life that some of these guys live, you know, and I think that um, they, it's like they were born to lose, but somehow they were able to make it. And I think they would have been able to do, probably have gone further and been able to have healthier relations with people had they just sat down and talked to somebody about some of the things that they've experienced. Cause I mean, that, that's a nightmare that, that, I mean, just the little bit that I told you, that's, that's a rough start. And some people, and that can affect. And sometimes if that's not addressed, the cycle of abuse carries out later on in their lives. And that was the case, unfortunately for James right. Brown. Also, if uh, I, I think that a lot of this happens in our communities, unfortunately, and if, um, yeah, we're able to talk to some people that can help, then it might be a, a lot easier for us because, yeah, our, 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 our communities or our community, more specifically, the Black community, you know, we have, um, we have a lot of barriers in, in America today, you know. So we, um, I think that uh, our work, we, we could, you know, our community could use this work a lot more yeah you know yeah so it's I, a, it really is a yeah uh there's just one thing i want to add i'd like to add to that is in our communities especially back home we have a lot to contend with and a lot of it is mm. most of it is not because of our failings as a as a people um a lot of it we know is systemic but I think, and we we bear responsibility for a lot of other things, right? I also think that we have to understand that when it comes to healing and taking responsibility for how we respond to things, that's completely in our own purview. And how to, I, I would really appreciate if we could do more communal-based <clears throat> things to provide healing spaces and resources, you know, for our community, which all over the country, you know, people are are doing that. Um, I just wonder what does it look like to to be more of a national effort when it comes to the advancement of the promotion of like mental health, community health, um, wellness, collectivist. programs for our own you know people we we have it in pockets you know so I just that's hmm, I don't know that's I know what I'm saying I don't know what I'm saying it's 
<laughs> it's kind of hard to articulate what I, I know I'm trying to say right now, just to piggyback off of what you just said. Yeah, no, it's, it's tough. You know, as you mentioned, we, we do have a lot more to contend with. And then here in China, at least here, there are a lot more uniform and they can address things in a certain way. If the government feels that, hey, this is a problem, they snap their fingers and the next day a policy rolls out yeah, and it changes the narrative very quickly yeah. and people just follow suit. And it's not like that in America. You know, the people that are going to kick and scream, they're going to fight if it doesn't benefit their racial group. And again, it's always down to race in America because that's yeah. what it oh, always yeah. was in the beginning. A country founded on so, race can't extrapolate race from anything. Exactly. And the country was never really set up for black and brown. So that's another issue. Um, so that that's probably the biggest barrier of our advancement as, as a nation and uh, as a people. Um, I think a lot of times, and, and this might be deviating a little bit, but it's still related. But I, I think a lot of us have this notion of us thriving or striving and looking and trying to move forward together, all of us. And ideally, that's the way it should be. But the reality is it's it it's just bad. it's not it's not happening it ain't yeah. gonna happen so a lot, i think we need to turn inward because i feel like other communities are already doing it we're kind of it's harder for us because of our conditioning for over the past 400 years has been we've been conditioned to kind of you know every every person for themselves kind of mentality and and that's something that needs to die and once we start looking at each other as as family, as 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 you know, brother and sister, as 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 people that you know, looking after our own and loving our own, we have to undo this this um, this you know. I feel like self hate. We need mm. to undo that, and then once we once we undo that, and it's happening. I feel like it's uh, it's slow, but it's 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 happening. I agree. And. Uh, once that knowledge is is out there, then we can we can begin to repair ourselves. We can't look for somebody else, the government or any other, to implement mental health or any other service for us because that's not in their interest. Never has been, never will be. So once we accept that, then we need to you know take things into our own hands, and I think we'll be all right. And I think that the program that you're doing right now, and you know, shrinked, you know, God willing. Um, if, um, you know, we are able to continue with it more and more episodes, then I think that these type of shows is kind of a, a way to mentor, you know, to our people. And um, yeah, I think that's, that's how it starts. It's just turning inward, having people that want our people that want to do uh, for our people. Uh, it, it shouldn't be that way, but that's kind of the way it has to be for now until, you know, we have a more collective collectivist spirit yeah. in, uh, in, in the country we call America. Yeah. Other people have done it forever. <laughs> so mm. I don't have a problem with us being next at all. Um, but I am so grateful for you taking time on your Sunday to share with us your innermost thoughts and experiences when it comes to mental health. Um, and I'm, I'm certain that you're going to continue to further the work that you're doing with Shrink and all the media initiatives that you have. And of course, you know, I will support you in your efforts. 
Um, and for everyone that is watching, I want to thank you again for tuning into the Black Expat Experience. I encourage you to keep taking risks. I encourage you to keep impacting your communities. And above all, make sure that you prioritize your mental health. It is because of you that we are able to continue to grow this message of prioritization of mental and physical health and letting the world know that Black people of the diaspora thrive and exist all over the world. So thank you. Please share this in your communities. And with that, I want to say, have a good day. Bye. All right. My pleasure. Thank you for having me on the show. And yeah, take it easy. You we'll too. be in touch. Thank you.